So uh, today we're going to be talking very uh, practically and specifically about how do we engage in conversations with those that the Lord gives us the opportunity to minister to. You know, we uh, variously use the language of being an agent of change in the lives of others. Uh, we are, each one of us, people in need of change, and God has given us the privilege of being involved in the lives of others as agents of change in their lives as well. And uh, we, we can have uh, all of the theological, if you will, philosophical conversations about what that looks like, what that means, what our goals are, what we're trying to accomplish. But if we don't get down to the nitty-gritty of, okay, what should be coming out of your mouth, <laughs> it's, it's uh, not quite as helpful. So we want to get that practical today. Uh, we'll introduce a, a lot of these principles uh, and then next week, uh, I'm going to be doing the meet and greet for the folks who are newer to our church. And so Brian will be leading next week's class. And there will be a lot of just applying these principles with various case studies. So you can look forward to that next week. It will be very interactive. Uh, we'll do a little bit of interaction today just thinking through some of these, these practical things. Um, but that's today and next week. Cause the banner that we're talking about is no, K-N-O-W, right? So the first... Of the four uh, parts of the outline is love. We've talked about that the last couple weeks. Now it's know, and then in a few weeks it'll be speak, and then do. And just a reminder that when we talked about love, what we're saying is that God designed for all of us to change in the context of relationships. Uh, Not necessarily every change conversation has to be with someone you've had a lengthy and in-depth relationship with. Uh, but that when we engage with each other, you know, it's not a clinical setting where we hold each other at arm's length and there's this professional client dynamic. You know, when, when I've uh, graded ACBC exams um, for people who are pursuing certification as biblical counselors, sometimes somebody will slip in uh, the language of their client. And I said, don't ever do that. <laughs> as, if you're a biblical counselor, you don't have clients. Uh, because that is such a, a clinical therapeutic uh, term. And it's not that it's you know, sinful in any way. It's just it doesn't convey the relational dynamic of two sinners coming together to seek the Lord's wisdom together. So uh, what, we're, what we're trying to pursue is a, a dynamic of relationship with one another where we acknowledge our common sinful experience that we're both sinners um, Hopefully, we're both saved by grace, we're forgiven in Christ, we're growing in Christ-likeness. And so, in the context of that relational dynamic, we're pursuing change and being an agent of change in others. And to do that, we remember we talked about how we need to get into the other person's world. We can't simply hear that they have a marriage problem, or they're struggling with pornography, or they're, they're battling depression, and then, oh, there's a key word there, marriage, pornography, depression. What are all the Bible verses that I can spit out that addresses that issue? Uh, No, we have to get into the situation uh, in terms of our understanding so that then we can speak relevant truth uh, to the particulars of their uh, circumstances. So that's what we're getting into detail with today uh, in terms of how do we really come to understand Uh, what is going on in a person's life, in a person's heart, in their mind, so that we can bring relevant truth. So to do that, as always, we want to start with the example of Christ. 
because all that we do is to be modeled after our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the perfect man. You know, there is no other more perfect agent of change than him. And so we want to consider his example. And we've already talked about it a little bit, but just to use another passage different from the one we used before, let's go to Hebrews chapter 12, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 4 together. Hebrews chapter 4. And we'll just consider for a moment verses 14 to 16. Familiar passage to us all. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. The author writes there, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect, or rather one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, uh, remember we looked at this principle when we talked about how Christ uh, became like one of us, and He's not ashamed to call us brothers. He has associated Himself with us. He doesn't stand far away from us. And so, uh, He is our sympathetic high priest, and, and that's what the author is certainly emphasizing here. And notice how he says in verse 14 that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. Uh, That language conveys to us that that our Lord Jesus Christ is high and holy and transcendent. That he, He dwells in the heavens. And certainly before His incarnation, He dwelled in eternity Uh, with the Father and the Spirit uh, in glorious splendor, you know, without any ceasing of delight and joy and unity and love with the Father and the Spirit. And yet, in humility, He passed through the heavens. He left His Father's and Spirit's presence, if you will. I think you understand what I mean. And He came into this world to be born as one of us, to be born as a human being, to take on a human body and human nature. And as he says there, that he's not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, which, which is to say that he not just understands the human experience, but that he's lived the human experience. Right? He knows what it's like to be under sinful parents. <laughs> Uh, Joseph and Mary were his parents. They were sinners, just like you and I. So he knows what it's like to grow up in a home with sinful parents. He knows what it's like to to grow up with sinful siblings. Um, Many of you, many of us have siblings, uh, and that was a source of much heartache for for many of us. Uh, And Jesus understands what that's like because he lived that. He experienced that. Uh, Jesus, and we could go on and on, Jesus experienced betrayal. Uh, by those who claim to love him the most. Uh, Jesus experienced the uh, grief of of loss. Uh, He experienced the uh, false accusations that people can make against you. Uh, He experienced all kinds of things with regard to the human experience. And and the word weaknesses there, that says he's unable to, or that he's not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
really just uh, reflects that human experience that our, our life is beset by trouble and challenges and weaknesses. And Jesus experienced them all. The fact that he was sinless did not uh, change his experience. They changed his response to the experience, uh, but they didn't change the experience itself. And so he, he came into our world and he knows what it's like. And it is in light of that personal knowledge that then he is able to minister to us. And that then encourages us, verse 16, to draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, knowing that he offers mercy out of his understanding of our experience. Again, he's not a God far off. He is a God who is near to us and he's experienced what we have. And just to pull from the handout that we have, the second bullet point there uh, has a list of passages. Now turn over to the Gospel of John, uh, and we'll just kind of flip through some of these passages in John to see how not only did Jesus model getting into our world in the sense of Hebrews 4, but he modeled for us how to engage with others with the re- understanding, with the understanding that people are different. Each person is unique, and it's not hypocritical to say we need to engage with others under the recognition of a person's particular um, situation, their needs, their their challenges, uh, the dynamics of their life. So just starting with John chapter 3, as you can see there in your Bible, that's when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus has come out to him. He's a Pharisee. He's a teacher of the law. He's one who is uh, very concerned about uh, obedience to God's law, religious uh, fervor. And he comes out to Jesus to talk to him. And Jesus says to him, uh, in verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What Jesus does there is he launches into a theological conversation. That's maybe not how you and I would start a, a conversation, but you know, basically Nicodemus starts in verse 2 by just acknowledging who Jesus is, at least his understanding of, of Christ. And Jesus responds not by saying, hey, how's it going? <laughs> but by making a theological declaration, which they will then go on to discuss. Jesus knows... Nicodemus in his mind, his heart, kind of where he's at, the kind of conversation he's able to have. And so he launches into a a theological conversation with Nicodemus. But he doesn't do that with everybody else, does he? Turn over to John chapter 4. Who's he talking to in John chapter 4? The Samaritan woman who has come out to to get water at the well. What what does Jesus... uh, what, was, what characterizes, how would you describe the conversation that Jesus has with a Samaritan woman? Just summarizing all of what they say there. Casual. Casual? He was starting from her knowledge. Yeah, he, he met her at her level, recognizing you know, what her uh, understanding is, what her questions were. Because remember... Jesus asked her for some water. That's how the interaction started out. And she was shocked 
Why are you asking me for water? That's verse 9. How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then Jesus doesn't really respond to her question, uh, in, at least not directly, but he says in verse 10, If you knew the gift of God, who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So he, he goes from her question, and he uh, quickly runs to wanting to help her see who she's talking to. But he does it in a way that reflects uh, you know, who she is, where she's at, what's going on in the moment. Uh, and then as the conversation carries forward, um, skipping down to verse 15, of course, they've talked about living water. And Jesus says, uh, the woman said, verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So she makes a statement of, Lord, I, I want this living water that, that you're offering uh, and of course, she misunderstands. She thinks he's talking about some kind of physical water, like the fountain of youth, uh, of sorts. And and his response to that, again, in, in just only the way that he can respond, verse sixteen: "Go, call your husband and come here." And so he, again, in the way that only he can, he keeps bringing her back. He leads the conversation into areas that force her to have a, a clear understanding of of who he is, because her response to what Jesus says is, I perceive, verse 19, that you are a prophet. So he carries this conversation that she is able to carry with him. He doesn't speak above her, uh, above her uh, you know, knowledge. He doesn't speak uh, too lowly to her. He speaks to her just on the basis of who she is and her abilities and her need. Uh, John chapter 5. John chapter 5 uh, Jesus is uh, uh, there back in Jerusalem, and he finds uh, a lame man. Does he engage in a theological conversation with a lame man? No, what does he do? I want to be healed. Yeah, yes, do you want to be healed? <laughs> uh, this lame man's primary need in this moment, it's certainly his own perceived need, we know his greatest need is to believe in the Messiah, but his, his own perceived need in the moment is to be healed. And so Jesus engages with him you know, based on where he's at, what his current experience is, uh, and you know, they go on from there. Uh, John chapter 6. There's a lot that happens in John chapter 6. six. It's a very long chapter. It starts out talking about how Jesus fed you know, the, the thousands of people with a meal, then goes on to walking on water. Then the next day, uh, the people follow Jesus, and uh, they're hungry. <laughs> Uh, the, the food that they ate, that Jesus provided, has uh, been digested, and they're ready for their next meal. <laughs> and they say, well, uh, I don't know about the, the market and what's, what restaurants are around, but we know that Jesus provides good food that's pretty good, so let's go to him. And so Jesus then interacts with them, and he challenges them. He says, the only reason you're looking for me is because you're hungry. You're not really interested in what I really have to offer. You're not really interested in, in the true need that you have. And so he admonishes them. And then he uh, works through increasingly offensive and confusing uh, statements. Or I should say he doesn't work through them. He makes increasingly confusing and offensive statements. Uh, in a sense to push them away. Uh, because he knows that they really don't want what he really has to offer. And, and so he says uh, in verse uh, 
um, 56, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now he's speaking metaphorically, figuratively, but the people don't realize that, so they take offense at that. You know, how are we supposed to eat his body? You know, that's cannibalism, that's against scripture. And so that pushes them away. It's a hard saying, they say in verse 60. So again, Jesus interacts with the crowds on the basis of their unbelief, on the basis of what uh, they're looking for, and that is not the truth. They're not looking for a messianic um, uh, experience with Christ. That They're looking for simple uh, food to eat. And then just one more. Turn it over to uh, John chapter 11. John chapter 11 is uh, the, the death of Lazarus. And, of course, in this situation, Jesus intentionally stays away so that Lazarus can die. Uh, Lazarus dies, then he goes back, and he interacts with Mary and Martha. And what condition are Mary and Martha in when he interacts with them? Sorrow. What was the word? that Distraught. What else? Grief. Yeah. I mean, they are pained to the max in their soul. Uh, yes, Jesus engages with them theologically, but not as, a, as an academic matter, if you will. Um, Jesus ministers to their sorrow. Uh, he joins them in their sorrow. That's where we have the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. He joins them in their sorrow. He speaks to them in their sorrow. He encourages them in their sorrow. He doesn't admonish them. He doesn't say, what's wrong with you? Don't you know that I'm, that I'm able to raise Lazarus from the dead? So he doesn't exhort them. He, he cares for them in, in his interactions with them. All right, so that's just a survey of different people that Jesus interacted with. And it shows us that Jesus interacted with people based on his knowledge of them, based on his understanding of the condition of their soul, what their needs were, what their situation is, what their background was, you know, uh, all, all of those kinds of things. And so uh, um, that shows us that we can learn from Jesus that we don't just uh, talk to everybody the same way. We don't have a template, a cookie-cutter template that whenever somebody... You know, shares with me a problem that here's the thing that I always say and here's the solution to every problem. I just, you know, have them memorize this verse or I, you know, spout, you know, these truths to them. Uh, we have to minister to people according to where they're at, what their situation is. You have there at the top of your handout, 1 Thessalonians 5.14. We've, we've mentioned this before. We urge you, brethren, Paul says, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, Help the weak, be patient with everyone. So that just recognizes, again, that we're all, we're all in a different state of mind, that those who are in need of change, which is all of us, are in different uh, stages of that change. Some of us uh, are obstinate in our need of change. <laughs> we, we don't want to change. Uh, some of us uh, are hungry for change. We just don't know how to go about it. Uh, some of us know how to go about it, and we're, we're stay, taking steps to do it, but we're failing, and we're trying, and we're failing, and we're trying, and we're just overwhelmed by, by uh, 
uh, guilt and shame over our inability to overcome our struggle, even though we know it's true and we know what we're supposed to do. We're just struggling to actually do it. So we're all in, in a different frame of mind. We're all in a different stage in the growth process. And so as the Lord desires to use us to be an agent of change in the life of another person, we have to consider where does the Lord have this person? What, what is their frame of mind? What is the condition of their soul uh, at this time? How can I minister to them based on where they're at right now? Yeah, I think for, for those of us who are parents, this is a struggle. You know, we, we have perhaps the greatest opportunity to be an agent of change in another person's life as well as those who are married. But uh, uh, with parenting, we're, of course, we're constantly trying to bring change into our children's lives. <laughs> because we're constantly confronted with their need for change. <laughs> but isn't it true, and this is true of me, isn't it true that so often we just we, we don't take the time to consider their frame of mind in the moment? Especially when kids are younger, we ignore the fact, or we, maybe we don't ignore it, we forget the fact that sometimes there's just childish foolishness. <laughs> right? There's just immaturity. It's not necessarily a rebellion. They're, they're just doing something because they're, you know, five years old and they just, they're just a child. Doesn't, mean, doesn't justify sin, doesn't make, you know, what they do wrong, right? But there's, there is a difference between obstinate, hard-hearted rebellion and childish foolishness, right? I mean, how many, you can't answer this, but how many times have I, as a parent, failed to make that distinction in my kids' lives when they were younger? Or even as they're growing older and they're starting to become more and more aware of the world around them and starting to come into their own in just in terms of their um, cognitive abilities. And so they're able to think more freely and they start to, to think, man, I, I think I know more than my parents. <laughs> <laughs> and so they respond to you in that way. Oh, man, that's hard, isn't it? <laughs> that's, that's the real test of your sanctification when this, you know, Whatever size they are compared to you, uh, but age-wise, maturity-wise, they're diminutive in your eyes, and they had the audacity to act like they know better than you. Are, how are we responding to that? My temptation is just to say, "Oh no, you don't. <laughs> you didn't just say that, did you? You know, whatever I might respond in, in a less than biblical, kind, loving way." Um, so we have an opportunity to consider in their lives what's, what's really going on. Are they just testing the waters? You know, is there obstinate, hard-hearted rebellion? Is it childish foolishness? Is it immaturity? Again, not to, none of that justifies or determines what's right and wrong. It's just understanding what's, what's going on in their heart and how can I shepherd them? How can I teach them what's appropriate discipline? You know, knowing them and their situation, their heart, allows us then to bring the right kind of help for that person. Does that make sense? And so it is with all of our relationships, husbands and wives, uh, relatives, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ here in the church. It is essential that as we seek to be an agent of change in the life of another person, that we consider uh, what... Uh, what is going on in their heart and mind that we understand the situation and not be quick to judge, not be quick to come up with a solution or a conclusion and just, you know, spot that out and there I'm done, you know, uh, go and do likewise kind of thing. 
So, uh, so we have to think really carefully about how can we be purposeful in coming to understand another person. And I got to tell you, this is hard. Uh, this is one of the main things that I do as a pastor, you know, trying to help other people grow and change, dealing with challenges and struggles that they have. And I fail all the time. <laughs> I failed this week. I failed last week. You know, I, I fail all the time because it's so easy just to, to either draw conclusions or make assumptions or whatever else it is. And so we have to continually work at this. And so, like I said, we're going to walk through this, this sheet here today. Um, and then we'll, uh, with, with uh, Brian, uh, do more application of it with case studies next week. And I would encourage you uh, to not throw this away, <laughs> but to uh, fold it up, uh, put it in your Bible, just so you can carry it easily. And be purposeful this week. Uh, take it out, review it, and when you have a conversation with somebody, anybody, a family member, a coworker, whoever, uh, think about how you can apply some of these practices in that conversation. Uh, just, just to practice and to grow in these things. Okay? All right, before we actually dive in, let me just pause to see if there's any particular comments or questions so far. All right. All right, so uh, the first section there, and by the way, this, this I took almost entirely from one of the lectures from the Counseling Fundamentals class, which I know a number of you have taken, so this will look familiar to you. I did take out a couple of things that were more for formal counseling related, but, uh, but that's just where this, this comes from. Uh, so what kind of data should we gather? So you see at the top, gathering data. That's, that's the language that's often used in the biblical counseling world that we need information, and in order to obtain that information, you need to gather it. You need to draw it to yourself. Uh, you need to draw out from the other person information that you don't have. Uh, unlike you know, many things that you would research, you can't do a Google search on what is this person thinking. Uh, you have to actually uh, talk to them, engage with them, and draw out their heart and their mind. So that's where the word data comes from. Uh, what kind of data, what kind of information... Uh, should we gather? Uh, as, you, as you think about it, uh, someone who you're seeking to come alongside to minister to, there's different kinds of information, different categories that uh, can be helpful depending on the situation. Uh, these categories don't imply, man, you have to get all of this information before you can give any kind of hope, encouragement, or counsel. But um, a lot of situations involve uh, the need for information that we don't always recognize that we actually need. Uh, for example, uh, the first one there is physical. Uh, and by that, that just means uh, sleep patterns, medications, diet, activity level, illness, you know, things like that. Usually when we're talking to someone who has uh, an emotional struggle or they're, they're battling with someone in their, something in their lives, we don't tend to think about the physical dynamics in their life, those, those dynamics of food and, and medications and sleep and things like that. Uh, we're, we're very narrowly focused on the spiritual dynamics, and, and that's an important thing, obviously, but we tend to neglect the physical dynamics in a person's life. Uh, and we do that to our own detriment. Uh, we do that uh, to the neglect of important things because we are, as human beings, psychosomatic beings. Psychosomatic means that we are soul and body beings. Psy suke is the Greek word for soul. Uh, som soma is the Greek word for body. 
So psychosomatic, we are soul and body beings. And our soul and our body are not like two separate components that you, know, you can just cut in half and separate and never shall they meet. No, they are intertwined with one another such that they impact one another. Uh, there are physical things that go in in your body that affect your soul, that affect your thinking, that affect your mood and your emotions. As well, your thinking, your emotions, your, your attitude can affect your body. Uh, you can change the chemicals in your body by how you think. And the chemicals in your body can change how you think, how you feel. That is a mystery beyond understanding. <laughs> uh, and no scientist can bring out charts or you know, do tests to see how is this in, uh, soul and body interacting, right? They can't test the soul. All they can test is the body, the physical uh, part of you. And to the degree that they can find information about you, all that tells you is what is going on now in your body. They can draw implications for what's gone in the past based on what it is now. They can maybe guess what the tra trajectory is for the future based on what it is now. But really, all they know for certain based on what they can test in the body is what your body is like right now. They can't identify why your body is the way it is right now. So that has implications for all kinds of things. But my whole point in that is to say that our body and soul are intertwine and they affect one another. So, sometimes we uh, will have the opportunity to minister to someone who's struggling with depression. Right? It's a very common struggle given all the challenges that we face in life as human beings. There was one time I was meeting with a, a young man in his 20s a number of years ago and uh, I'd been meeting with him so I had a pretty good uh, you know, just we had a relationship, so I understood kind of his normal manner of, of being, if you will. And he came in one day, and he was just so, so uh, sullen, um, uh, I'll say weak. Um, uh, like, he couldn't even articulate clearly. He was more mumbling, like lacking of energy completely. And then, of course, his thinking was totally a negative. And I'm just like, this is, this is not right. This is not normal for him. I mean, he's, he, maybe he's on, the, on a scale there where he tends that direction, but this, was, this is not normal. And just in asking him questions, I asked, so uh, tell me about your diet. What, what do you typically eat? And uh, he says, well, I, I have uh, typically after work, after work, I'll uh, go to this... Uh, fast food place, I don't remember which one it was, uh, and I just have one fast, fast food meal a day. That's, that's what I eat. <laughs> Every day, one fast food meal. Well, um, I'm not a nutritionist, but I'm pretty sure that's not healthy. <laughs> and so my encouragement to him, I gave him a homework assignment. I said, all right, this week, this coming week, I want you to eat uh, one, at least two meals a day, and one of them can't be fast food. <laughs> I didn't say, oh, let's put you on a you know, vegetarian diet or you have to have salad every meal. I didn't say any of that. Just eat two meals a day because I don't know what to say about any of that. <laughs> I said, two meals a day, one of them can't be a fast food meal. 
And the next week, he came in totally different. His problems weren't solved, right? His life was not, hey, everything's better, I'm fully sanctified. No, none of that. But he, he had energy, he could talk, his thinking was clear. Just his whole disposition was radically different, simply because he just he ate food that wasn't killing him. <laughs> and so that's just one example of how uh, sometimes we have to ask someone, just, hey, what's, what's your diet been like? What have you been eating lately? Uh, another physical example is uh, if you were to ever talk to someone who con- confides in you that uh, they're hearing voices. Sorry, I'll come back in. I know. I was like, what's wrong? Um, <laughs> did I hear something? Yeah, I was like, what's going on? No, um, they confide in you that they're hearing voices or that you know they're hallucinating. You know, of course, our first instinct is to think, okay, is this person crazy? Is there maybe demonic things involved? You know, we're like thinking again in the spiritual realm. You, the first question you you should I mean, really, the first question you should ask is when was the last time you slept, right? Because we know scientifically that if you don't sleep for three days straight, you will start to hallucinate. God has designed your body in a way that that's what happens. My my sister has uh, severe um, RLS. And so her sleep is, is awful. And when it, there's been times where it's been so bad that for days she like barely, barely sleeps. And she's uh, had hallucinate where she'll kind of wake up, if you will, somewhere in the house thinking, how did I get here? Uh, or I don't know if she's ever heard voices. But anyway, uh, that, that's a significant contribution of the physical body to our spiritual experience, if you will, our soul experience. So... We have to consider um, sometimes what is going on in this person's life. What are the physical dynamics? Um, you know, not that not that we should all expect. Hey, you need to be eating three square meals a day on round plates. You know, with uh, that was a joke. Um, <laughs> that was terrible. Uh, with you know, exercising thirty minutes a day. You know, getting your ten thousand steps in. You know, not that we should expect that of everybody, because. <laughs> Some of us don't live up to that. <laughs> but uh, we need to consider, is there anything going on in their life on a physical level that is contributing to these things? And, and let me mention me- medications as well. Uh, sometimes we don't realize how much medications as side effects negatively impact a person. Uh, if you read the side effect on many, especially psychotropic, antidepressants, SSRIs and whatnot, uh, depression, anxiety, those things can be side effects. Uh, and so I got a call one time from uh, someone who had pulled over. They were driving. They pulled over. They called me. And they said, Pastor Gabe, I'm really worried. I just had the sudden urge to drive into a light post and kill myself. What do I do? And I said, well, you know, just kind of what's going on? And, and they volunteered. Well, I just recently started this medication. So I just said, call your doctor. Tell them what you experienced and see what they have to say about that. Got her on a different medication, and that didn't happen again. So we have to be considerate of what is going on in this person's life that might be affecting their suffering. Ron. Um, one thing that you didn't uh, statement, and I don't know if there is anything implied, but uh, I think with the information gathering, it's not to assume that any of the physical stuff is causal, could be resulted in it, mm-hmm. information. Mm-hmm. You were mentioning your, the, the person about eating once a day. Well... Is he in the condition he is because he was only eating once a day, or is his condition caused him 
I don't feel like eating, but I know I gotta eat something, uh -huh. so I just eat whatever garbage. Sure. So I don't know that there's a breakdown of this or that, but just know that it's like you said, information to collect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, and that that's helpful. Uh, and that's absolutely true. Uh, that we we don't draw immediate conclusions. We're just trying to gather information to try and understand. So that, that's a helpful reminder. Um, uh, all right. Uh, uh, resources and relationships. Again, what, what's around this person in terms of their job situation? Uh, uh, do they did they just get a job? Did they lose a job? What's what's their job experience like when they go to work every day? Um, you know, school. What are their dynamics with school? Is it easy? Is it hard? Do they have challenging situations at school? Are they bullied? You know, things like that. Um, do they have intellectual challenges? Are things easy for them or hard for them? Uh, social, spiritual. Just what's what's going on in their life? I'm, I'm realizing we need to move a little bit faster here, so I'm not going to spend any more time on that. Uh, emotions. You know, particularly extreme emotions. Uh, as you're talking to them and you're hearing things from them, uh, does it seem like this person is living just a really feeling-oriented life, that they just respond to everything emotionally and then they act based on their emotions? Um, obviously, we all have emotions, and that's, that in itself is not wrong, but uh, where are their emotions coming from? What's driving their emotions? How are their emotions driving them? Uh, we want to be considerate of that. Uh, then actions, uh, how are they then responding in terms of their behavior? Are they committing sins? Uh, are they sinning by omission, by withholding things and not doing things that they ought to be doing? Uh, and then, of course, the conceptual, this is where we get into the heart. What are their goals, values, desires, motives? What are their beliefs? What do they believe to be true about God, about themselves, about the world around them? And then historical uh, it, would it be helpful in this situation to learn about their past? Not because their past is determinative. You know, our past doesn't determine us in the sense of what happened to us uh, determines who we are, but rather uh, it does influence us. I think we've talked about how our past uh, doesn't determine us, but our response to our past uh, is really the, the bigger issue. And so understanding the influences of the past, uh, key moments of the past, um, uh, influential people of the past. Uh, that, that can be helpful in, in many situations. Um, all right, so th those are some of the different categories. Obviously, I'm not giving you a list of questions with, with each of those things because it just entirely depends on the moment. And what, what do I need to know? What would be helpful for me to know to be able to minister to this person in this moment? And and one of the challenges with this is, you know, as we're sitting here uh, thinking about this, you know, part of what we're thinking is, well, how do I know what's the first question to ask? How do I know what's the fifth question to ask? And really the answer to that is simply um, thinking to ourselves, what do I not know that would help me understand this person and their situation better? Um, what, what's the gap in my knowledge? And there's no one right way to launch into a conversation like that. There's no one right path to take in a conversation like that. It's just two people relating with one another. And sometimes, you know, you have to have multiple conversations to draw out more information. Or as you're processing things later, you realize, oh, I forgot to ask this or I didn't think about that. And so you then have a follow-up conversation where you ask questions 
Uh, and again, the goal is to understand the person, to get to know them, what, what their thinking is, what, what their background is, what their situation is, so I can minister to them effectively. So to avoid assumptions, uh, we have to ask questions that do the following. Define, clarify, and explain. You know, we, we say things to one another all the time that we n- naturally assume we all understand what we mean. Um, you know, we say things like, uh, I love my job. Um, we, we might, somebody might confide in you, you know, my wife and I are having some trouble. Um, and then as you get into that, they might say, well, we argue a lot. Um, you know, my, our, we're struggling with our parenting. We, we make statements like that. And again, our tendency is to say, oh, well, let's go to Ephesians 5, or let's talk about Ephesians 6, you know, where they're talking about parenting. Or we tend to launch into things when we don't yet quite understand what's going on. David Powelson, who is now with the Lord, but he is uh, one of the leaders in the biblical counseling movement, he tells a story of a couple that he was counseling who said to him that they argue a lot. And as he's drawing out what's going on in the home, he comes to find out that sometimes, and I don't know if it was just once or or multiple times, but let's just say at least once because it's bad enough. They had a shooting match with pistols. He was upstairs, she was downstairs. You know, they were shooting at each other in the house. I don't know if it was 9 millimeter, if it was 45, I don't know, but, but it wasn't BBs. <laughs> uh, so their definition of we argue a lot was very different than, by God's grace, any arguments that my wife and I might have. <laughs> so so we, we, we have to ask questions that, that define what do you mean by that. Uh, you say, you know, Thank you for sharing with me that you're struggling with depression. Can you help me understand what do you mean by depression? What is your experience of that? Because that's a wide range of experiences. Everybody experiences it differently. So we want to understand what is this person's experience? Again, with marriage, parenting, uh, struggle with sin. You know, sometimes people say, you know, I, I, sometimes I look at things I shouldn't look at online. What does that mean? <laughs> what, what, what are you looking at? And sometimes, you know, to really understand the situation, we have to, we have to ask very uncomfortable questions. Uh, because, again, we can easily make assumptions and based on the general categories of how people sin. So, like, you hear something like that, and um, you just naturally assume, oh, they're looking at pornography. That's generally a safe assumption with a statement like that. Um, but it's helpful, again, if you really want to understand what, what is really going on, well, what do you mean you're, not, you're looking at things? What, what shouldn't you be looking at? Um, what specifically are you looking at? Uh, how often are you doing that? Um, uh, when or where are you doing that? Um, how, how big of a struggle is it? Is this uh, once a year? Is, is this uh, ten times a day? Are you not getting your work done because you're really in your closed office looking at pornography and you're about to get fired? I mean, you, you, if you're really going to bring help, you have to understand the dynamics of the situation. So defining, can, can you explain what you mean by that? Uh, help me understand your definition of that. Um, even something like, 
you know, I love my job, but sometimes I just don't feel very satisfied. Well, what does it mean to love your job? What is it that you love about your job? Um, you know, sometimes people are, are thinking, well, I'm thinking about making a transition in my work, find a, another job or something like that. And, to, if, if, you're, and they're, if they're seeking your counsel on that and wanting to think through that decision with you, you really have to understand what is it that they're dissatisfied with, what are they trying to escape from, uh, what is it that they're looking for, so you can really assess what are their values, their priorities. Are, are they just looking at uh, greener pastures thinking, well, if I go somewhere else, everything will be better when really they're the problem. <laughs> their own attitude toward their coworkers or their boss or their work is, is the problem. So you have to understand and define what, what do you mean by that. And then clarify, um, it really goes along the same line, but uh, just gets, you know, rather than seeking a, a definition, what do you mean by depression, what do you mean by argue, what do you mean by this, uh, clarifying just ex extends that out to, so when you say you argue, okay, you're, there's a lot of uh, yelling that's happening. Uh, can you clarify, this is one that I use all the time, if I was a fly on the wall in your home, what would I see? What would I hear? Uh, I'll ask. Uh, I'll ask couples now. Is there cursing that takes place? Because that's extremely common, sadly. Uh, is there name calling? Are, what's the volume that's happening? Uh, just clarifying to again get more information about what's what's really going on, and then explaining. Uh, really, just is an open-ended. Hey, can, can you explain that to me? Just talk more about that. I, I just want to understand that more, just getting more and more understanding of, of the situation. So those three terms, define, clarify, and explain, uh, are, are words that we can use when asking questions to help us get more information. Can you define that? Can you clarify that? We might say, you know, when you said that, this is what I'm thinking. Am I accurate about that? Can you clarify if that's, if that's not the right understanding? Uh, can you explain that more? So that, those three words would be helpful terms that we can use uh, when asking questions. All right, any, any questions? <laughs> Anything I can define, clarify, or explain? Okay, so how, how can we gather it more practically? Well, there's different kinds of questions we can ask. Uh, the, you know, virtually every question, if not every question, has an interrogative. An interrogative, uh, or if, uh, if you're not sure what that is, think of it as interrogative. It, it's, a it's a way of asking questions. An interrogative is who, what, where, where when, why, how. Every question has one of those words in there where we're trying to understand the people in the situation, uh, what actually took place, the timing, the location, motivations, uh, and the methods. So, Questions should always involve one of those terms and, and those different aspects of a situation. And with that, um, we want to ask open-ended questions. Uh, an open-ended question is a question that cannot be answered with a yes or a no. Um, sometimes, just for the sake of getting a specific answer, you can ask a yes or no question. It's like when I say, is there... Is there cursing that takes place? Uh, are, you, are you cussing at your wife? Uh, that's a yes or no question. Uh, if I get a yes, I'll say, well, what kinds of things are you saying to your wife? Uh, 
uh, or husband. Um, so some yes or no questions are helpful for very targeted, very specific questions, but they're terrible for gathering a lot of information. So we want to avoid yes or no questions. Like we want to avoid, do you love your wife? Because <laughs> that doesn't tell you anything. Uh, either either way that it's answered. Do you love your husband? You know, uh, do you discipline your kids? Well, if they say yes, you haven't really learned anything because there's such a wide range of of uh, answers or, or how one would go about that. So open-ended questions are are wide open for them to answer and where you get their thinking. So questions like, uh, uh, sh share with me how you discipline your kids. What does that look like in your home? Well, you can't answer that with yes or no. <laughs> you have to explain. And then you can ask you know, questions about the, the what and the when and, and that kind of thing. Um, questions like, um, you know, how long have you been struggling with depression? Uh, you might get a short answer to that. Well, it's just this week or last you know, few months. Um, but uh, you can ask open-ended questions like, um, uh, tell me about other times in your life when you've uh, struggled with depression. And that's just an open-ended question that lets them uh, speak and and share uh, their response to that. So open-ended questions are critical. We want to avoid yes or no questions unless we need very specific targeted information. Uh, we want to ask specific questions. Um, you know, specific uh, or non-specific would be things like, hey, um, do you have any struggles in life? That's not terrible, but you know, like Job says, as uh, like sparks fly upward, man is born for trouble. So all of us have troubles. So that's not very helpful. Um, so more specific would be something like, um, you know, how, tell me about your marriage. How, how's your marriage uh, going? How, how do you feel about the state of your marriage? Uh, or, or, you know, gosh, it's just innumerable, the kinds of questions. But being specific, you know, thinking about the different categories, uh, asking about specific things, um, rather than just uh, very unhelpful general questions. Uh, extensive questions uh, versus intensive questions uh, are basically questions that are broad versus uh, narrow. An extensive question would be something like, tell me about your family background, you know, your, your immediate family. Where'd you grow up? Tell me about your relationship with your parents. You know, just that's an extensive question. It's a wide open question of a wide area. An intensive question would be something like, um, did you experience any uh, particular troubles that have carried with you as a child? Um, or a, a question in the area of, um, I'm just trying to choose a random thing here, uh, relationships at work. Uh, an extensive question would be, uh, tell me about your working relationships. Do you, uh, do you tend to have you know, good working relationships? That's a yes or no question, but you can add on to it. You know, just tell me about your relationships at work. An intensive question would be, uh, is there anyone that you have specific trouble with at work? Or there there's specific situations at work that you find troubling? Um, so that gets much more narrow into the situation. Usually an intensive question follows an extensive question. 
you ask the broad open question, and then you get narrow from there. All right, so those are the, the various kinds of questions. We use interrogatives, who, what, what, where, when, why, how. We ask open-ended questions. We are specific in our questioning. We, get extensive, we, we use extensive questions, and then we follow up with intensive questions. Those would be the primary ways that we gather information, that we uh, give the other person an opportunity to, to speak, to open their mouth and bear their heart uh, in those things. Another way to gather information is nonverbal communication. Now, this is limited in the kind of information it gives you, but it is important. Uh, it's helpful to be mindful of a person's demeanor, uh, their facial expressions, their tone, um, the, just the, the way that they express themselves, you know, their eye contact, uh, just how is this person presenting themselves? Are, are they answering questions in a way that their nonverbal communication contradicts their verbal communication? Or does their nonverbal communication indicate that there's something deeper there? They, they answered it a certain way, but I need to press in there because of how they answered that. Um, you know, you can answer a question in a way that is just kind of placid and, yep, just passing on information. Or you can answer a question in a way that conveys bitterness <laughs> in your answer. Uh, well, is there something there that I need to press in on to understand better? Why, why did they say it that way? Uh, wh wh why, would, why, did their, uh, why did their face make that uh, shape, if you will, to convey some kind of anger or disgust. Nonverbal communication helps us just to perceive you know, how's this person feeling about um, their, their answers. Now, if you're talking to two people, let's say a couple, uh, one of the things that I often do is I'll talk to one spouse at a time, but I'm looking at the other spouse while the other one's answering. <laughs> You know, I'm looking for eye rolls. I'm looking for shaking of the head. I'm, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And so that, that can be helpful, too, if you're in that kind of a situation. So asking questions and nonverbal communication are essential to just gathering data. All right, how to listen. What, what, what are you listening for? These are just, you know, examples of things. Um, but you want to be listening for blame shifting. As you're talking to this person and you're talking about the challenges of life, are, are they constantly talking about other people being the source of the problem? Such that the assumption is, and if everybody else did what was right, life would be good because I haven't done anything wrong. Uh, are they blame shifting? Uh, you want to listen for words like, I can't. Uh, I'm unable to do that. Um, or this is too much for me. You know, particularly with somebody who's struggling with sin, some sinful pattern, alcohol, sexual sin, whatever it is, if they're, uh, they claim that they're trying to overcome it and they just say, I just can't do it. I, I, I can't stop. I've tried and I can't, I've tried everything and I can't do it. Well, that's, that's a mental conclusion that they've come to that is false, right? Because as a believer, you can overcome sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's very important to know that they've come to that conclusion in their own mind because that's something that, something that you have to overcome uh, in their thinking before you can really move forward. And you want to listen for a victim mentality, again, kind of like blame shifting, mm -hmm. uh, but where they're 
you know, totally free from responsibility um, uh, of their own sin. We want to listen for calling sin sickness, which of course is very common today with mm-hmm. uh, both the uh, disease model of, of uh, mental health, where everything's a disease. Alcoholism is a, is a disease. Depression is a disease. Uh, that's hopeless, right? Because if it's a disease, there's nothing we can do about it. Um, so we want to listen for that. Is, is the person thinking like that? Uh, rabbit trails. You know, as you're engaged in conversation, we, we all know there's uh, different people have different ways of, of communicating, and some people are really good talkers. Uh, and, and by that I mean they, they can talk and 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 talk. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just like, I, I just, I, 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 how do I get in there? <laughs> uh, and they're just going in circles and here, there, and everywhere. And you're just like, okay, I, oh, I've lost control of the conversation. Um, and, you know, and so that, that can come out differently. It, it, it's not a, I don't know that it's a sinful thing. It's just different people have different abilities in that regard. Uh, others are just so short and succinct in their answers that it's like, oh, it's, say some more about that. Tell me more. Um, but you want to listen for somebody who's rabbit trails and you want to c- kind of control that so that it doesn't um, derail the conversation, become unhelpful. You know, this is tough, but what is, what, I use the word counseling here. Again, these are from the counseling notes. What does the counseling not say? What is this person not saying? It's hard to know in the moment what they're not saying because you don't know what you don't know. But this is more one of those things that uh, you either gain from experience or you think about afterward and you think, you know, they didn't mention anything about, you know, you have those kinds of thoughts. Um, and so it's, you know, depending on the situation, sometimes that can be something that's, that's relevant, that's skipped over. Um, yeah? You brought up rabbit trails. So uh, thinking about God's sovereignty and helping this person, could those rapid trails help reveal something else, another issue that's yeah. intertwined with the issue that you're trying to address? Yeah, that's potential. And so that's why and at least... Like, you have to have control of the rapid trails. Right. But at the same time, carefully listen because it might reveal something. Yeah. You know, Scripture says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Mm-hmm. So, um, for me, when I'm getting to know someone... You know, in a counseling setting, and they're a talker. Uh, I'll usually let it. I'll just let them talk because you do learn. You, you learn how do they think, how do they, um, how do they interpret things, um, how do they describe and explain things. You know, fewer questions uh, give you more information in, in that kind of a situation. I think the greater concern is down the road where uh, it's it's a, a pattern. And it's just unhelpful. Or avoiding the topic. Yeah, and, not, and it may not be that they're trying to avoid it, but it's just they're undisciplined in their thinking. And so, you know, you ask a question and then they talk for 20 minutes. And, you know, whether or not they answered the question, who knows, but they've wasted 20 minutes talking about things that are irrelevant. Sean? Sometimes they just want to talk. They know what you're going to say or they know what the response is going to be. They don't want to hear it. Yeah. So Sure. Yeah. It could also be an attempt to justify, you know, if I give you more information, you'll understand my perspective and understand why I'm right. Yeah, there's all kinds of reasons. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, So, Pastor, when you have people like that, how do you gently 
interrupt um, without yeah. being rude. Yeah. Because sometimes I was like, I don't want to hear that. Like, yeah. Can you get yeah, you just say, that? stop it. Really? <laughs> no. That's what I was going to say. No, 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 no. Strike that from the recording. Yeah, you just me what I want to say. No, yeah, I, that, I'm the worst with okay. this. I hate interrupting people. Okay. So, um, I, I, I try and like, uh, and sometimes, I mean, if it gets bad enough, uh, I'll just have to jump in and say, "Hey, can I stop you right okay. there?" So I really appreciate what you're sharing, okay. but can I, can I just, can we pause? Okay. That's um, back to the question at hand. Uh, yeah, let's let's go back to the question at hand. It's good. Um, if it's if I know this is a pattern, mm-hmm. and this is this just happens every time I meet with a person, eventually I'll start a conversation by saying, "Hey, just so you know, I want to make sure we make the best use of our time today." Okay. And so there might be times where I interrupt you, and I, I just, I'm, I don't want to be rude. I just want to make sure that we're making good progress today. Okay, and so that way they, they know ahead of time. And usually they're like, oh, yeah, I want to make good progress too. I don't want to waste time. So they'll be more open to that. Okay, thank you. But, yeah. Mr. Mike. So for, for the recording purposes, uh, when Mike says this works, he's talking about just raising his hand and... <laughs> Uh, specifically his index finger um, to indicate he wants to have uh, to interrupt and you know again we're, we're talking about uh, a conversation we're talking about a relationship so you know for Mike he's one of our certified counselors if you didn't know so you know he and I do a lot of formal counseling where we're have an appointment for a specific amount of time, usually an hour. So we're thinking about that context. Uh, and in many conversations that we have outside of that, that you would have as well, you're not thinking about that kind of thing. You know, you're thinking about having somebody over for lunch or dinner and you're having extended time together. So you're a little less concerned about the time efficiency factor, but there's still a concern about, again, if, if it's an ongoing pattern of, uh, are, are they just, uh, talking in an unhelpful way that doesn't contribute to what we're trying to accomplish. So anyway, all right, let me, let me run through these last things uh, quickly here. Uh, hopelessness, uh, that's such an important thing to be listening for uh, because uh, if a person does not have hope, uh, they will not think there's any ability for them to change, for their circumstances to change. Uh, there's, of course, the, the danger of uh, suicidal uh, thinking, and so you want to listen for hopelessness, uh, evasiveness, where they don't really want to talk about things, uh, exaggerations. You know, when when somebody comes and says to you, you know, my uh, my husband, he was yelling and screaming at me last night. Um, may, maybe he was, maybe he was, because that happens, and obviously, it, uh, people, all kinds of people do that. But maybe it's an exaggeration. Uh, and so asking specific questions uh, to identify, is, is this an, ex- an exaggeration or are they accurately reflecting the, the facts? Uh, defensiveness, you know, is there uh, a reluctance to acknowledge their own uh, contribution to a problem, their own sin? Uh, judging another's motives, you know, are they constantly saying, well, what he was trying to do and what she was thinking and, you know, what their motivation was and what they were trying to accomplish? Well, do they really know that or are they just judging each other's motives? Um, again, willingness to accept uh, responsibility or not. Uh, some listening habits to avoid. Don't interrupt, again, unless you absolutely need to, to carry on the conversation. Don't jump to conclusions. You know, ask questions when you're tempted to, to draw a conclusion. 
don't let your mind wander. Man, I've gotten in trouble with this. You know, a person says they're talking and talking, especially with the long talkers. You know, but other times, you know, they're talking and then they ask a question. I'm like, or or they say something like, "Do you think I'm thinking right?" And I'm like, "Oh, I, I didn't hear what he said." <laughs> oh, that's embarrassing. So, you don't want that to happen to you. Uh, don't do distracting things. You know, tap your pen on the table or you know, just something that's that's distracting. Um, don't allow the person to waste time. Don't hesitate to ask if you don't understand. You know, sometimes people will say, does that make sense? Like, you know, I've said that today. And because we don't want to offend or we're shy or whatever, we're just like, yeah. And we have, we have no clue what they're talking about. Uh, that's not helpful. You know, if you want to get to know the person, just ask. You know, honestly, I'm not quite sure. Can you put it a different way or whatever? So, okay. Uh, next week, uh, bring this back. Uh, think through some of these things and conversations that you have over the course of this next week. And then Brian will be leading the class uh, and talking about some case studies so you can put these things into practice. All right, let me pray.